0: Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. This is What Do You Know About That? A radio show about anything and everything happening in our community, our city, and our world.
1: Here are your hosts, Eric Gershnow and Mary Angela Saavedra. Hey everyone, happy Thursday! Welcome to a, another episode of What Do You Know About That? How's it going, Mary Angela?
2: It's going great now that this weather is breaking.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah.
2: Now that it's not suffocatingly hot anymore, I mean it's still warm, but at least it's not as warm as it was earlier this week. Woo! It's a time to stay indoors and enjoy
1: the AC if you got it. Yeah. But um, or go
2: somewhere with AC if you don't.
1: <laughs> hopefully, you have a friend or close relative, neighbor. That you can go visit or job
2: enjoy. or store
1: exactly. <laughs> well, I think that was some of your recommendations from our last episode yep. as far as how to beat the heat. Yes. Yeah. And yes. You can go find AC.
2: So yes, happy Thursday, everyone. What's going on uh, this day in science, Eric?
1: So this day in science, Thursday, August eleventh, two thousand nine. Astronomers report Saturn's rings vanish. <laughs> what? what, what, what? Astronomers from NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory announced that Saturn had pulled a Houdini when its 170,000-mile-wide ring system vanished into space before the Cassini orbiter's very lenses. Experts say the vanishing act, which occurs roughly every 15 years, is created when sunlight strikes the rings head-on during Saturn's equinox, rendering the 35 trillion trillion tons of space dust, ice, and rock invisible to traditional observation. Unfortunately, NASA's representatives said that viewers on Earth would have to wait until next time to witness the event as Saturn's orbit had brought it too close to the Sun to be viewed by anyone other than the Cassini orbiter itself. That's interesting.
2: Yeah, so what they're saying is that other times hobbyist astronomers could look through their telescope and see this happen?
1: Yeah, apparently every—well, uh, so Saturn's orbit, uh, it's too close to the sun to be viewed by anyone other than the Cassini orbiter itself. So it's really the proximity of the um, the satellite that's uh, able to witness this phenomenon. So it's just gotcha. a sort of trickery of light.
2: Hmm. Yeah, that would seem freaky.
1: Interesting. Well, hey— this day in science. This I guess you can't win them all.
2: That's true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not as cool as the. Um, oh, the uh, what was what are those little guys called the water bears? Yes, yes, <laughs> those guys were awesome.
2: <laughs> or terrifying, whichever you want to.
1: <laughs> well, you know they're microscopic, but could you imagine if they were life size? You'd probably run away from them.
2: Yes, definitely. Well, thank you for that interesting tidbit of information Mm -hmm. from this day in science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have anything on your neighborhood radar?
1: Well, as far as neighborhood things go, I mean, there's a lot of summer activities going on. I guess I just wanted to make a brief mention to um, one of our previous musical guests, Benny Barksdale Jr., uh, just recently had a CD release. And and I feel bad because I should have mentioned this perhaps prior to uh, our last episode but just this past sunday uh he had a little cd release party over at what used to be Milo's the 7165 lounge there was a decent turnout and it was all again it was all stuff that he was promoting from uh his cd release so nice. it had the he play he did play Fran the tune that we featured on our episode and mm-hmm. it was beautiful
2: so, Fran's theme
1: Fran's theme exactly yes. Nice was there a good turnout yeah, no, sizable turnout. Nice. So, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure like how they're running things over there now because they they do have a kitchen, they are serving food, but I don't know if they they just have like a staff or hire because I know it's just turned into an event space. It's an
2: event space. Yeah, you have to if you rent the space, they request that you rent their their staff. You know, and they you know do catering and things like that and and it's all kinds of parties, and events is my understanding, but I mean, you'd have to look into it right It's not too hard to to Google that business and see
1: so I guess if you're looking to host an event, you can always consider Go down there. formally my well, so what's on your radar?
2: well, uh I've been reading some fun things that are you know related to things we have talked about on this show um mm-hmm. uh, recently. On my favorite app next door, there was a a post that made me laugh a lot because the very first line says, "Do stop signs mean anything?" (laughs) Question mark. My heart is pounding. I I was almost in a serious crash at Gorgas and Sprague Street. I'm going Sprague or Sprague. I don't know how you pronounce it. Sprague, Sprague. You say Sprague. I say Sprague. Right. Sure. I'm going west on Gorgas toward Sprague. I am stopped at the stop sign and see no cars on the other side with the stop sign, so I proceed into the intersection. Suddenly, on my left, I see a jeep barreling toward me. It's going too fast to stop at the stop sign, so I brake to avoid a collision, and the jeep driver had to make a fast right turn to avoid hitting me. Well, don't you know, the driver curses at me. I guess I stopped him from completely running the stop sign. Be careful, my neighbors. Either people can't read or the stop sign has become obsolete. Uh. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is a very common rant among Philadelphia stop
1: signs optional
2: right that's kind of the joke is it? in Philly stop signs are optional it's a suggestion we suggest you stop here but you don't really have to if you don't feel like it because in Philly you do what you want <laughs> that's really the attitude unfortunately which of course causes lots of accidents uh, so sure. this post is about about a week old guess how many comments it has
1: I, I can only imagine. I love
2: this game. It has about sixty five comments in a week. Okay. Because they're all pretty lengthy. Usually, when the comment numbers go up higher, there's shorter comments. You know, it's like. But you know, these these here, people there. are writing these, a pamphlet. These people are weighing in on their experiences, telling you what intersections they've seen it happen. You know, people who yeah, had where the to whole be mindful front of there's definitely of their some car more than others. Torn off the whole. Some people had the whole back of their car torn off. People are like, oh, you know, some people. The the stop sign hides behind a tree, which I have seen. So in the defense of some people who run the stop signs, sometimes you really can't see it because a tree that's on the sidewalk is masking it.
1: Especially in this neighborhood, rule of thumb is if you're coming to an intersection, you might want to consider slowing down because you just don't know.
2: Sure. Yeah, 100%. A lot of other people were suggesting, you know, call the precinct, get a license plate. I'm like, (laughs) our our police are very overstretched as it is. I can't imagine they're going to go chasing down people who are running stop signs that they didn't catch in the act. But the truth of the matter is, is that, yeah, you have to be a very defensive driver in Philadelphia because stop signs are, for the most part, a suggestion uh, and not necessarily. Well, you know,
1: this rings close to home. I was in a car accident back in March. I was in Roxborough, and I was at a three-way stop. And I had let this gentleman go past, and then I proceeded to go through the intersection, and another person came in right behind this guy, and he did not stop and just drove right into the car, got totaled. We just bought a new car. I get to start that all over again.
2: <laughs> right. Well, yeah, so be careful out there, friends. Because yeah. So the other thing... That is also very similar to things I've heard a lot of neighbors talking about is abandoned cars. There was a post about uh, people leaving their trucks or their cars like, you know, with flat tires, with pieces of the car missing. But they just, you know, it's parked. It's in a street parking spot and it's just there
1: Mm -hmm. forever. Occupying Real estate,
2: right? I was like, we have one of those on our street right now. We have
1: two. Well, there's one, and then there's one right around the corner, literally right around the corner.
2: Yeah, but we used to have a third one, and that one went away. And I don't know what happened to that. I don't know if all the calls of three one one finally got no, it. No, I think or it actually got sold. It.
1: But what was interesting um, was, if you looked at that, it was a minivan that sat there forever. At one point, I noticed a bullet hole in the hood of the car. I'm like, what's going on here?
2: Right. Well, the more that cars sit there and don't move, it really invites vandalism. Because people are like, this car is clearly abandoned. I'm going to mess with it because it's clearly not going anywhere. But in the case of the the one on our street proper, that one, it's a tank. I mean, it's like a Cadillac. It's so long. It's It's, a boat. It's it's a a huge, huge vehicle. Where I'm like, easily two small cars could park in the space that it's taking up, parking on our street is a premium at this moment. You know, people are parking on the other side of the street where you're not supposed to park, like on the sidewalk, because Mm -hmm. that's just what we have to do. But it brings up this point, which everybody was discussing in this post, what do you do? Because you call 311 and you call 311 and you call 311, which is what everybody said to do. And everyone's like, yeah, we've done that every week for the last Mm -hmm. year and a half, and it doesn't happen. And I think back to that friend of ours, our friend who left her car on her street after she moved. For a year on her old street. And then a friend of hers was like, You have to go deal with this car. You have to go get, you can't just leave it there. Like, you can't be that person. Mm -hmm. And when she went back to deal with it, she had to, you know, Jimmy the lock to get in it because she had like lost her keys and all these things. The neighbors came out and were really upset with her.
1: I'm sure. And
2: they were just like, We watched you move. We watched you leave this car. We've been calling three one one. You're lucky that car's still here. And she's like, I really don't care. This car is trash. Like it doesn't work. It doesn't operate. I'm I've got a tow truck coming to come and take it, haul it away to the scrapyard. Mm. But like they were and she was she was surprised at how upset they were. And I was <laughs> like, That doesn't surprise me at all. And I would have been just as angry of a neighbor if that had happened on my street for a year. But it took a year of those neighbors calling 311 and nothing happened, mm-hmm. which leads me to believe that the cars on our street are in a similar situation. I feel like people have probably called 311 and been like, there's this abandoned car, which means, you know, obviously the city can't deal with it. But then it's the bigger problem of what do you do with your car when your car is totaled and you can't afford to have it towed, you can't afford to take it anywhere and you live in the city, you can't just leave it on the street. But yeah. what do you do? What do you do with it? I mean, are there some companies that would come and take it for scrap? Like are there places you could call and be like, do you want to just come and salvage? I feel the like metal maybe if car? you
1: moved the car to the sidewalk and put a for free sign on it, <laughs> it would disappear in a minute.
2: <laughs> I mean that works for everything else. So Maybe that's the problem.
1: Yeah, I think so. Maybe that's what it or you can is. just well, stick a for free sign. Just, sure. just just
2: walk up to any
1: random car. <laughs> but if any of our listeners out there perhaps have a better suggestion on how to deal with abandoned vehicles that have been taking up residence on your street, please chime in, and give us some feedback. We'd love to know your thoughts.
2: Absolutely, you can email us at whatdoyouknowgtown at gmail dot com, or find us on the Instagram and Facebook at what do you know about that?
1: Okay, so what are we talking about today, Mary Angela?
2: Well, I thought we would talk about something I am very interested in. And have been for a while. And you do know quite a bit about this. But I think I know some things. I think I'm going to shed some light on some things that you maybe don't know. I want to talk about Laurel Hill Cemetery. All right. Yeah. So I don't know how it is with our listeners. But, you know, I've been in Philadelphia now for 13 years. And I would say I did not discover Laurel Hill Cemetery until probably four or five years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. Drove by it all the time, saw it all the time, saw the sign right there on Kelly Drive at that big entrance, you know, or if I was happened to be over in East Falls and going along Ridge, drive past that main entrance there, and was like, oh, this is clearly it's a cemetery. But you really kind of don't think twice about it, right? You're just like, hey, it's a cemetery, moving on, you know, what right. could I have to offer? Dead people. Yeah. But come to find out, <laughs> Laurel Hill is a really, really unique and interesting cemetery that is quite prestigious as cemeteries go in our country.
1: They got some pretty high profile dead people there.
2: Not just that. So it's not just who's there. It's not just the notable burials. It's it's the cemetery itself. Okay. So what tell me just briefly, what do you know about Laurel Hill?
1: Um again just that there's some there's a lot of history there. It's a very old cemetery. You know, it overlooks Kelly Drive. So if you ever wanted to go for a picnic at Laurel Hill Cemetery, it's like the perfect spot. It's so beautiful. You get, you know, an amazing view, um, unhindered view. And uh, there's some really old, old graves there. So a a lot of folks who, I, I don't know if it's aristocracy, but probably wealthy families. Are buried there. I'm trying to think of some notable historic figures that have contributed to the city in some way or another, but there's also, even more recently, a lot of uh, entertainers who have passed and are buried.
2: They're not at Laurel Hill. Okay. They're at West Laurel Hill. West
1: Laurel Hill. Okay. So there's a
2: difference. So we'll get into that. Okay. But um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's basic. Uh, what I find interesting about what you said is that You mentioned having a picnic there, right? So who thinks about going to a cemetery for a picnic unless you're going to visit somebody that you know that is buried there, right? Right. But that was not the case in the early 1800s. So in the early 1800s, rural cemeteries were a thing. And think about this. You know where Laurel Hill is located now, right? Mm -hmm. Would you consider that rural?
1: No, but obviously back in the day, you didn't have the city built up the way it is now.
2: Correct. The city didn't come up to there, so Laurel Hill absolutely was rural. Yep. Right. So a rural cemetery, the idea was, yes, it was a park. It was a place to go and have majestic views and picnic and promenade and spend time and commune among the dead, but it wasn't meant to be, as we think of a cemetery where it's, you know, just memorials and it's a somber place to be. This is where families would go and they would walk the grounds Mm -hmm. and they would go to be seen and things like that. It was definitely a place to have, you know, a view of the city that you couldn't get anywhere else. And that was a concept that was really sort of established in the early 1800s, this concept of a rural cemetery. So this... So like
1: before then people just like you said, just
2: well it wasn't rural, right? The cemetery was around your church. You know, okay. it was it was where it was right there in your city, in your
1: Right in right. your place,
2: right? You didn't you didn't go somewhere to have someplace completely separate because think about it, there's not a single church up there. Uh, no. it's not it. It's a park, right? So mm-hmm. uh the Wikipedia tells me that Laurel Hill Cemetery <laughs> is a historic garden or rural cemetery in East Falls neighborhood of Philadelphia, founded in eighteen thirty six it was the second major rural cemetery in the United States. So the only other one that was before it was Mount Auburn Cemetery in Boston, Massachusetts. So that was the first one. Laurel Hill was the second. So yay, Philadelphia, for getting right on this bandwagon and being like, we want a rural cemetery. We're making this happen.
1: Trendsetters. Of
2: course. The cemetery is a 74-acre huge in size and overlooks the Schuylkill River. The cemetery grew to its current size through the purchase of four land parcels between 1836 and 1861. It contains over 11,000 family lots and more than 33,000 graves, including many that are adorned with grand marble and granite um, fernery monuments, elaborate sculptures, and hillside tombs and mausoleums. Oh, yeah,
1: just the architecture of like the headstones and everything is enough to.
2: So it's, it's pretty epic, exactly. Architecturally yeah. speaking, it's, there's some really fascinating things to look at there. And granite and marble were the ways to go for those kind of things. So, you know, a lot of the stuff is really very well preserved because of that, because mm-hmm. of the materials that they used. In 1977, Laurel Hill Cemetery was listed on the National Registry of Historic Places. And in 1998, it became the first cemetery in the United States to be designated a National Historic Landmark. Oh, wow. Which means it beat out Arlington National Cemetery wow. as a national historic landmark. <laughs> Yay, Philadelphia! <laughs> <laughs> Let's go um, set the city on fire now. Right. No. Um, but I find that really fascinating because, you know, I think about it and I think of, you know, Arlington National Cemetery as being one. But it's not the same kind of cemetery, right? Well, Arlington's not rural. It's not very ornate. It's, you know, it's a military... Yeah. Cemetery that's a national cemetery. And there's definitely a lot of people there and it's very sprawling, but it's not designed in the same way.
1: No, not at all.
2: Yeah. So um, the cemetery, as I mentioned, was founded in 1836 by John J. Smith. He was a librarian and editor with interests in horticulture and real estate. And he was distressed at the way his deceased daughter was interred at the Arch Street Meeting House, burial ground in Philadelphia.
1: Distressed? Like, what happened?
2: Well, I mean, he he didn't like what was happening. I mean, you know, she was buried in a crowded cemetery at a meeting house in downtown Philadelphia. This
1: doesn't sit right with me. Exactly. I must make a graveyard of my own.
2: Yes, and so he wrote, Philadelphia should have a rural cemetery on dry ground where Feelings should not be harrowed by viewing the bodies of beloved relatives plunged into mud and water.
1: Ah, uh, there would be your, your re- reasoning right there.
2: Yes. So he joined forces with other prominent Philadelphia citizens, including Benjamin Wood Richards, William Strickland, and Nathan Dunn, to form the Laurel Hill Cemetery Company and create a rural cemetery three miles north of Philadelphia, three miles north of the Philadelphia border, so it was definitely rural, Mm -hmm. you know, the burbs, as it were, (laughs) Um, on the east bank of the Schuylkill River. The group considered several locations, but decided on the 32-acre former estate of businessman Joseph Sims, known as Laurel or Laurel Hill. The location was viewed as a haven from urban expansion and a respite from the increasingly industrialized city center. The city later grew past Laurel Hill, but the cemetery retained its rural character. And that's something that I find so fascinating, is that once you walk past that gate and you go in, you almost forget that this is sitting plopped down right in the middle of the city. Yeah. The city as we know it today, right? And it's, it's really very unique to... To, to wander through there and kind of forget that there is a whole city just right on the other side of you know well, where yeah where I you guess just you're continue. you're
1: on the the edge right cuz once you cross over the Schuylkill, then you're technically in the burbs right
2: Correct so you can see Ballakinwood from yeah. the banks which is where West Laurel Hill is so West Laurel Hill sits across on the other side of the river it's not directly on the shoreline like Laurel Hill no. is on our side. It's it's back a little bit further down Belmont Avenue a bit. But that when they decided they needed to expand, it made sense to kind of have sort of a sister spot on the other side of yeah, the river. Yeah,
1: because there's not much real estate on the other side. But... Sure. No, one of the things that's nice about Philly, at least I guess in the, the western corridor, there's a lot of uh, greenery just kind of splashed in the middle of the, you know, urban landscape, which I love.
2: Yeah. And what, when you were mentioning musicians, you know, West Laurel Hill is the the active cemetery. So Laurel Hill proper um, is not an active cemetery. Right. I mean, there's They're no, there's no receiving people. vault anymore. They, they don't bring people like you can still be. I well, mean,
1: know. people still probably have a plot there, right? or no yes
2: but most of the families that are there they don't have descendants that either have claim to that space or that they could fit in that space because it really is full
1: oh yeah I mean it's it's like like a mall of graves right it's, so it's crazy
2: sometimes you'll see like I I think the last time I was there the 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 most I, so I might have seen uh, a year that was like 2019 mm-hmm. that was there so that would have been you know somewhat recent but I don't know I don't know all the ins and outs of how they make that happen, but I do know that there's no receiving vault yeah. at Laurel Hill. But there is a very active receiving vault at West Laurel Hill. Gotcha. And they're activate actively cultivating those lands. Like they're making, you know, entire sort of areas. There's still a lot of untouched land over on the West Laurel Hill plots to be, you know, turned into whatever they're, you know, working on. So there are right. some very recent burials at west laurel hill a lot of great notables so so both are really great but i think my fascination with laurel hill is a the views and and just the variety of different types of grave sites
3: Mm -hmm.
2: because you can really see the history you can see the older ones when people were like, we're just putting a headstone here. Like, this is how we do this. Then they moved to this time where they were like, you know what? We want flowers, but the flowers need a place to live. And we want people to come and look at them. So then people started doing these very ornate, I don't want to call them flower boxes, but that's kind of what they were. I think they were called cradles. They would put them over the headstone area and then you, it was basically grass in between and you could then plant annuals there or mm-hmm. you know whatever you wanted could be there and then and then it became, you know, the design of it is these these circles, almost like um, in Washington D.C. where you have the traffic circles that then branch off down different oh, yes. paths. They have lots of those, so it's it's it was, very organic the it way it's out. laid out.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Which and is why especially walking... when
1: you go on the uh, I don't, I'm, I call it Mausoleum Row, mm. but there literally is when you walk out towards the edge of the. Uh, basically the cliff overlooking Kelly Drive, uh, if you head into the cemetery and go straight back and then turn to your left, there is this long walk that takes you past all these old mausoleums. I mean, the, the architecture on these alone, I, I can only imagine these people came from um, immense wealth. But you could almost use it as a backdrop for a music video or a film project or anything. It's just so eye-catching it's it's pretty awesome
2: well i love that you brought it up because that's actually called millionaires row so that that is (laughs) there's a reason it looks like that that Mm -hmm. that was millionaires row uh when the mausoleum started going in and that's why they're all mausoleums and they're all a little bit different but a little bit the same but a Mm -hmm. little you know and and it wraps around and that is kind of a big deal and it was not uncommon for families who had a a mausoleum on, mausole- on Millionaires Row, to decide that it was getting too crowded over there, and then pick up their entire family's mausoleum and move it over to West when West opened
1: up. Oh my gosh! There are a
2: couple prominent Philadelphia families who did exactly that.
1: Oh wow! Yeah,
2: one of them was a Titanic survivor, um, and she had her her whole family plot uh, and a mausoleum picked up from West and I mean from East and reconstructed. That to me over just West.
1: sounds like it would cost a lot of money because. To move <laughs> that stone, especially if it's again the way the graveyards laid out, it's not like you can just pull a Mack truck up to one of these things and just load it up. So
2: yeah, no, you have to take it apart almost brick by brick. Yeah, you know?
1: it Ugh. takes masonries. That's have uh, to come. Sounds and, unpleasant.
2: But you know, if you've got the money,
1: yeah, exactly, and you want
2: to do it. You can it do it. It takes
1: money to move mausoleums.
2: It sure does. So one of the other things that really fascinates me about Laurel Hill is there is a sculpture when you first walk in, when you walk through the gate. I was
1: just going to bring this up, this weird diorama.
2: Yes, correct. <laughs> do you know what it's called?
1: I I don't recall. I've read the plaque several times. It's really creepy because there's like a grave digger and then there's like a gentleman <laughs> and they're all... What freaks me out is they're disproportioned. Their torso is much larger than, say, the length of their what their legs should be, and their heads are huge. It's just weird.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, you can take that up with the artist who did it, but it is a sculpture. It's a statuary grouping of, mm-hmm. of sculptures, and it's known as Old Mortality. And it's based on a tale by Sir Walter Scott, and it's displayed dis- directly in front of the main gatehouse. So you're mm-hmm. right. It looks like a little... Like diorama. It's, got, it's covered and you're, you know, it's open. There's a little gate in front of it. Yes. And you're just kind of looking at it and you're like, what am I looking at? Exactly. So <laughs> in 1836, the cemetery purchased a group of three sandstone statues from Scottish sculptor James Thom, known as Old Mortality. That's what you're looking at. There. Oh, James. The statues were placed in a small enclosure in the central courtyard directly in front of the main gatehouse. The statues are based on a tale by Sir Walter Scott and depict. Scott talking to Old Mortality, an elderly elderly man who traveled through the Scottish Highlands, uh, re-carving weathered tombstones along his with his pony. Hmm. So that's who Old Mortality is. He's the guy who's like, "I'm gonna help make sure these tombstones keep reading. keep wearing away. Yeah, keep yep. re- keep reading what they're supposed to say.
1: Oh, keep reading what they're supposed to right. say. Right. He's okay.
2: basically restoring them. He's uh. re-carving. You know, on his ponies, going tombstone to tombstone to recarve Got it. into them what it is. A plaster bust of the artist James Thom was added to the display in 1872. So that's the guy who seems out of place. Yes, And you're looking at it, and you're like, "What are you doing here?" Exactly. Who the heck are you? And he's the one who he doesn't match. It's a bust, right? It's not. It's not fully him. It's it's a bust of him. Um, the owners of the cemetery intended to equate the mission of old mortality with their own to keep the cemetery in perpetual care so future generations may remember the deceased and that's honestly kind of what they do i mean they they have a lot of great groundskeepers they do keep things as you know best as they can the things that are the most weathered are the stones that were made from materials that weather badly.
1: Well, and then you've got like acid rain, I'm sure, but rain period is the enemy of stone.
2: It absolutely is. And marble, as you know, over time, right? Everybody thought marble is so hard; it's going to be, it's going to last forever, it's right? Tough. But it actually is. And marble buffs, right? So the weather, rain, and life, and whatever can can really buff out things on marble it'll make it smooth like snow if it snows on it and then the snow freezes and melts and it you know well takes the it'll sand and if, dirt if, with it.
1: if the marble's polished it will make it granular again right correct yeah, it destroys the finish
2: so it wasn't until people started using granite that weathers much better mm-hmm. that they really were given things they were able to maintain but again even with the marble stones the grounds are still meticulously cared for they really are trying to you know preserve it. Uh, in the best way that they can.
1: My headstone is going to be digital, so it won't matter.
2: (laughs) So in true Philly fashion, they wanted to figure out how to get more people to come and promenade around here and spend time at this beautiful cemetery. This
1: is where your personal interests come in.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, we'll get to that. But in the early days, what that meant was... Um, relocating remains of several Revolutionary War figures. Oh, wow. So taking them from downtown and moving them up to Laurel Hill. Interesting. And of those include Continental Congress Secretary Charles Thompson, Declaration of Independence signer Thomas McKean, and Philadelphia war veteran and shipbuilder Yehu Erie, hero of the Battle of Princeton, Hugh Mercer, and first director of the U.S. Mint, David Rittenhouse. They've all been moved up there. That is not where they were buried originally. Because
1: people thought, hey, this is going to attract more people to come out to the cemetery. Correct. If these, hmm. these
2: famous Philadelphians are here, if these people that, you know, they would definitely want to be around, you know, in death, I guess, uh, are here, this this will attract people. So, Which is
1: funny because, like, nowadays, it would have to be, like, Kendrick Lamar or somebody yeah. You know, statesmen they're like, oh, pfft, who cares.
2: So then when when that I mean that of course worked, but when they wanted to take it to the next step, they started employing some really notable architects to design pieces there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not even a tombstone or a grave marker, sometimes it's benches. Sometimes it's as I talked about those circles that you walk around, right? Some, Some
1: architectural the, yeah, wonder. They
2: have gardens kind of planted throughout it, and then there are benches around it. Or it's the that um, beautiful stone fence that goes along. Oh you know, yeah, you walk around it. I mean, that thing is, if you look at it, it's 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 gorgeous. So it's definitely had its time, and people are still going there. You can walk in its gates anytime. You know, during the day. I think it's like 7 a.m. to sundown, which is like 9 p.m. or 7 p.m., whenever the sun sets, basically. is Right. When it closes. They don't
1: want people running amok. Of course. At night.
2: But you can you can do exactly what you said. You can take photographs there. You can film movies there. You yep. can picnic there. You can take guided tours. If you want to really know about the notable people that are there, there are tours that you can take. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's a lot of different ways. There's self-guided. They have a whole map. You can just open up the map and wander around and see where you land and where you come back and things like that. And then during certain seasons, there are events, which as you mentioned is where my interests lie. I have performed in Laurel Hill cemetery Mm -hmm. before as well as West Laurel Hill. And that's always really great. But I think to me, that concept of preserving this kind of history and, and keeping this place a place that you can come to and you can explore and take note and see just something that that doesn't exist anymore. We don't build cemeteries like this anymore.
1: No. You know, it's... I mean,
2: West Laurel Hill is definitely active and they're working toward a similar model as Laurel Hill, but it is different.
1: Uh, well, the the landscape is one of the defining elements of the cemetery that West Laurel Hill, though it's beautiful, it doesn't have that.
2: Yeah, it's true. So I would say if you have ever driven by and you've seen that sign and you've wondered, what is the deal? This is why. And you should take a walk through it. It's very peaceful. It's very nice. It's not spooky or creepy. The Europeans were doing this kind of thing for centuries before we were. Like if you ever travel to Europe, right, you're going to see these kind of cemeteries all over the place. Mm -hmm. And Americans are just kind of like, no, we're not into that. But there are a couple of them. There, <laughs> there are a couple of them now, and we have one of the oldest and I think coolest. Well, in the but country, so right here.
1: then tell me about because I know that the cemetery. Um, you were mentioning how they had almost like a promotional campaign and relocated some people, just to build foot traffic. But nowadays there are some activities that occur at Laurel Hill with the intent on building community.
2: Correct. They show movies there. They do movies in the cemetery where they put up a screen and you can come and sit and, and watch movies. They do um like brew tours. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's like you come and you have like cocktail hour and then you get your mug and then they walk through and they'll, you know, take you to some historic notable burial spots and tell you that person's story. Like I said, the, the walking tour is True Tales from the Tombs happens there. That's a, a walking tour that's not at all spooky. And that's
1: one that you've actually hosted, right? You've I, you've written scripts for... I
2: have, yes. Um, that's new. I, I just recently this year started writing scripts for it, but yes, I, I picked up The reins. That's been around for about 20 years. That has been an event that's been happening for about the last two decades and I just became the next the next custodian of this event to um, help make it happen. And, you know, I think I think it's great because it, it's, it's a fascinating event. It's like, you know, imagine walking through the cemetery and then stopping in front of a headstone and having an actor playing that person who's there step out and tell you their story, tell you why, who they are, how they impacted Philadelphia society or American society. Some really interesting people that I discovered through that process were like, for example, um, the, well, she didn't really invent it. It was her husband, but the woman who was responsible for bringing nautical flares, you know, that you fire up, shoot up and they like like little fireworks that happen. Right. So her husband invented those and then promptly died. Um, not because of inventing them. He just he died like you do. And she was like, oh, I have no money. I have a child. I am desperate. I went down to his workshop, found these notes for this flare, and was like, this seems like this would be really useful to the world. But she was a woman. And in that time, you know, no woman could just walk into a patent office and be like, hello, I have this great thing. Right. I'm an inventor. People are like, get out of here, woman. So she had to basically... Impersonate her husband in writing, obviously not. In I was gonna person. say,
1: did she like put on a
2: mustache? No, she didn't do it in real, in, you know, really in deep person. Voice. It was it was through letters. But she filed for a patent under her her husband's name wow. to get a, to get a patent on this, and then started marketing it to the U.S. government because at the time we were in the middle of the Civil War and we had ships, we had. There things. There are many was, uses
1: for a flare gun,
2: right? a lot of things i mean it really did change the face of nautical safety because once it was out there once we were they were being used then everybody picked up this technology and then suddenly every ship had flares there's a, a woman who's a titanic survivor and she's she's actually the one who picked up her family plot and moved it over to mm-hmm. west laurel hill right there are um, what was
1: the same titanic survivors is as, as in the movie it is not. Was it Was it Leonardo DiCaprio's no, girlfriend? No. It was not. No?
2: It was not Rose DeWitt
1: Oh.
2: <laughs> I'm sad. It's not her. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, to brush your bubble. Um, but also Frank Furness. Do you know who Frank Furness is? I do not. He designed, he's the architect who designed uh, the Pafa building.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: But in his heyday, he was responsible For the design of some 500 plus buildings in Philadelphia, which now no longer exist because his style of architecture fell out of favor when the times changed and modern buildings decided to come up, and they tore most of his building down. Could you mm. imagine designing over 500 buildings in the city? Just to
1: have them all torn down? To have them all torn down. I mean, I mean that's, that he, didn't, he didn't live to see it
2: happen, so he doesn't know. But <laughs> but it did happen. <laughs> He's dead. Right. It's it's one of those things I'm like, whoa. That's, he was a profound architect. Like, aside from the path of building being an amazing building, that building's gorgeous— you know,
1: Philadelphia is the birthplace of some pretty cool people. So and it turns out, of them are at Laurel Hill Cemetery.
2: That's 100 percent true. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to dig into some really fun Philadelphia history, check it out. They have a great website. You can find lots of information about it. You can find lots of information about the notable burials and the events that happened there. It is definitely worth exploring or just pull up. It's absolutely free to pull up. When they're open and walk on in, grab one of the little brochures or flyers by the front gate and take off on your own two feet. And I would
1: suggest going enjoy. on a nice fall afternoon. It's perfect.
2: <laughs> when it's cooler. Yes. yes, definitely when it's cooler.
1: <laughs> but then that's also when True Tales happens, right? It's sort of timed around the Halloween.
2: Right. But there are a lot of activities around. I mean, obviously, fall season is a good season for the cemetery, yep. just based on the holiday and the weather and everything but it is it is a great location to check out and if you never have and if you have but haven't in a long time it's worth going back so
1: cool well don't go anywhere folks please stick around the show's not over we have coming up our guest musical artist for who are the musicians in your neighborhood so we'll be right back <laughs>
0: You're listening to 92.9 FM G-Town Radio.
1: Well, welcome back, everybody, to our favorite segment of the hour, Who Are the Musicians in Your Neighborhood? And today we are joined by the carry-ons. Well, actually, half of the carry-ons, right?
2: Two-fourths.
1: Two-fourths of the the carry-ons, which is a half. It reduces. (laughs) You have to do the math. (laughs) We're learning so much stuff today already.
2: <laughs> welcome, welcome. Thank, Thank you for you. being here. Uh, introduce yourselves. Tell us who you are, where you're from, how long you've been in Philly, all that good stuff.
0: Um, my name is Dory Byrne. I play the accordion. I'm the most recent member of the Carry Ons, uh, which is very exciting for me. Yeah, and I live here in Germantown at the Rigby Mansion, which is a, a nearby venue. And yeah, I play and repair accordions. That's my job. Wow. Yeah. That's very that cool.
2: sounds <laughs> super great. Speaking of
4: mansions, I <laughs> live at the circus mansion and uh you know there's no bitterness, there's no nothing there's no between competition the mansion. Right
0: between the two mansions.
4: Right. But we do have a hot tub, but they have a pool table. But my name is Timothy Hill and uh I am one fourth of the carry ons and Ozzy, the guitar player, uh, and I started the carry a few years ago. He's not here today. And then Christian joined us, who is the bass player. And Dory, as you said, is the most recent addition on the trombone. And I've been in Philly around 10 years. Ago. Oh, yeah. Dory is a trombone player as well and an accordion player. In this band, Dory plays the accordion. <laughs> uh, so if you need to hire an accordion player or a trombone player, Dory does both. Nice. But uh, getting back to that, so yes, ten years here in Philly, and um, I grew up in Greece, so before that I was in Greece, and here we are
2: Wow, awesome, You're welcome. well, thank you for being here. um I'd like to to talk about you know how you got started in music, each of you um a little little background about you know were you a child, was it in school, did you always love music like tell us tell us some of some of your roots.
0: Yeah. Uh, as a child, I was very drawn to music. I was really drawn to dancing, you know, as like the mode of expression that just came naturally. Um, and then uh, in elementary school, I started playing different instruments in band. I played the flute. I played the trombone. And then and I also kind of played piano throughout and ended up focusing on piano. And then um Yeah, when I I came to Philly, I've been in Philly for about 15 years, and at one point I went to that pawn shop on 8th and South, and there was an accordion in the window, and I was like, I need to have this. (laughs) (laughs) That's
2: awesome. Nice. (laughs) I love that.
4: Uh, I grew up in a family where we were fairly musical, but we went to church an awful lot, and we sang a lot of hymns, a lot of four-part harmony, you know, European Uh, style hymns and so I was bored a lot in church and I just would practice singing you know the top line and then the second line the third line the fourth line um so I do credit church with with a lot of my musical kind of my my ear things like that um we played instruments growing up and then we sang as a family and I sort of didn't know what to do and so I studied music in college and I'm still doing that (laughs) playing and studying
1: but What brought you to Philly?
4: Um, My family and I decided to move from Greece to Philly, family being my wife and our three kids, so that we could be closer to some of her family that was here in Philly. So it was really for kind of connection and community and knowing people that we were around. In Greece, we were far away from my family. So, yeah, it was people. And the summer weather. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. that's no.
2: why everyone comes to philly right It's <laughs> definitely not that but we definitely got good people here in philly so
1: yes it's good. that's what makes the world go around so you guys kind of do um maybe uh if if i'm thinking um in terms of the various flavors of music that's out there in philly you guys aren't part of that huge bell curve of that that maybe encompasses rock and r&b you're kind of outside the scope of that a little bit tell us a little bit about the the style of of what you guys are putting together i think i call it
4: mediterranean folk jazz that's what i call it i like that um yeah because it definitely has a mediterranean flavor with kind of greek and turkish inspired rhythms and harmonies aussies from turkey uh, and me being from greece Uh, and i write the music and um it has there's improvisation there's some harmony that is more kind of reminiscent of jazz harmonies but it's also kind of folky in, in many ways so i just decided to call it mediterranean folk jazz so yeah there's not a huge mediterranean folk jazz scene in philly that i've um found at least no. yet so yeah yet but you, you fit you into that could kind be the of trend setter
2: yeah yes. that 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 kind of um what's the name of that band that we love so much the what, West Philly West Orchestra. Philly Orchestra. Yeah. I was like, I love seeing them uh-huh. because again, they don't sort of fit into any mold that you're used to. Right. Kind of, and, and it's different. And I would much rather go and see, you know, bands that have a, a different story to tell and a different flavor. So oh, yeah.
1: Now them. outside of this project, though, you have a number of other musical endeavors, right? You you've got a separate band uh, in addition to. You actively work with Yes and Arts, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Yeah,
4: I'm, I've been working with them for a few years. Yes and Collaborative Arts, that's based here in Germantown. They do musical theater for kids with kids. Um, so I'm usually working with them every summer and every winter, putting on the show. That's actually, I think, how I met Dory. Um, we played together for one of the shows. Yeah, so that's a great organization. Um, camp is is free for anybody that wants to attend kids. Um, and they have great staff working there and they put on great productions and it's all about the experience of the kids and the show making. Um, so it's, it's pretty cool. And I'm, I feel fortunate to be working with them and our show is coming up next week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 6 PM home and field, just, just down the street from here. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Quick little ad. Yeah, I also play with a swing band, Parlor Noir. So I play cornet in that band and sing. That's a that's a fun working band.
1: And that's what we saw you when you guys performed at Attic, right?
4: Yes, yes, that's right. Okay. Yeah, and various other things that come up here and there, also. That's yeah, what I do. Dory, what do you do?
0: Um, I also play with various groups, um, depending on the season. Polka season's coming up, so I play with Pocadelphia, which is a really fun band. Um, I also, my husband is also an accordionist, and so we have a duo thing that we do. What? Yeah. (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, he's from Moldova, so he's like a, you know, Balkan, virtuoso. We also live with a bunch of the West Philly Orchestra people oh, nice. and play with them sometimes. And
4: um... Don't have a hot tub, though.
0: We do. <laughs> <laughs> it's a
4: nice mansion, I'm not saying.
0: What
1: do you need a hot tub for when you get an accordion? They <laughs> have a pool table, which we don't
3: have. So. Nice.
0: Yeah. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I play with a lot of different groups. Uh, I sometimes play with Dan Blacksburg and his klezmer. Um, uh, outfit, um, that's more of a West Philly thing, but you know, (laughs) yeah. Nice. So.
1: Klezmer alive in Philadelphia.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: All, all walks of music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. also has been musical
3: director
4: for many shows and, you know, like does stuff in that
1: world as well.
0: Um, I've, I've worked with the Polyphone Festival at University of the Arts. They do like a, a new musical festival, Mm -hmm. um, every year and um i've worked with like Bryn Mawr and their their uh music theater programs so yeah i do some music directing i'm music directing a pirate burlesque coming up yes please tell us about that where's that when's that it's on uh the tall ship gazella it's in the delaware river yeah it's um uh yeah it's i think it's like the 16th of september it's like 15 16 17 that whatever that weekend is um so i think maybe it's like off fringe kind of thing yeah yeah
2: yeah. that sounds super fun i'm gonna look that up yeah
0: it's (laughs) so fun (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely one of my favorite gigs (laughs)
2: nice so have you guys
1: been pretty active this summer playing out
4: no well as this band or generally both, both. <laughs> oh as the as a band i think we've had a couple of gigs so it has not been a very active summer uh and we have a couple more coming up separately uh yeah i've been fairly active with other musical projects dora you have too huh?
0: yeah yeah there's been things here and there um i don't know i feel like summer slows down for me personally just because it's so hot and we also did that gig that like uh um busking gig the on the Delaware. Gig. Oh. Yes. They like it's just so hot, <laughs> you know? It's like playing outside at four o'clock in the afternoon is Yeah. Nobody wants to see that or do that. <laughs> <laughs> Except those of us that were getting paid do yes. It. Yes. Right, right.
3: So, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a
2: hard one. So do you all have a season for this band? Like is there a time when you expect to have more gigs or have had more gigs or is it just you kind of fill that that gap where you see it like when it calls to you
4: i think it's when all the people call into this radio show and say we want to book them that's when our busy season's gonna start that's
1: pretty much yeah
4: yeah (laughs) it's it's hard i mean it's been for me personally because it's my kind of my baby it's been very discouraging i mean the pandemic's been discouraging for everybody across the world but especially for artists and musicians um but it's a tough sell because you know you tell people what well, it's Mediterranean, folky, jazzy. It doesn't fall into a category that people are like, oh, yeah, they can play at this wedding or they can do the thing. It's it's just it's a tough sell. So we we have a few gigs a year. That's how it goes. Mm-hmm. I'd love for it to be more. But, you know, we're kind of plugging away at it and doing the best we can.
1: Yeah, it doesn't to me really translate to party bands so much as more like like intimate kind of setting Yeah, for that music.
4: Yeah, I would agree.
1: Yeah. Which seemed to play well i think I, I didn't obviously get to see you guys on the second stage because i was mainly the first but you played at jacopo's rubicam fest which i've we've plugged this show already a couple times on yeah. the radio uh-huh. so i hopefully our, our listeners know to look for that we talk next about year that. And <laughs> we actually had jacopo on as a guest uh-huh. but um how was how was the reception there at, at the second stage
0: I mean, it was beautiful. It, it, at the The stage itself is in a, a beautiful space that's like a natural amphitheater with like all this forest around you. And um, pe- people were very positive about our yeah. performance and like really excited. And you know, there are people da- like people dancing and I don't know, just enjoying nice. themselves. Yeah.
4: Yeah, it's great. I've I've enjoyed it. I mean, Jacopo's, I think he's done a great job of creating this whole community of people that come and listen and play, you know, physically making that stage and tending to that forest behind his house. It's a beautiful thing. I think everybody should go. I think he should do more festivals and bigger festivals, but he's trying to keep it grassroots, which it is. And it, it was great.
1: Yeah. I'm grateful for that.
3: Now we look forward to it every Keeping year. It yeah, It's
1: really nice. Yeah. So... What are you guys going to play for us today? Because uh, just to prepare our listeners, this will be a, another rare in studio performance. Live. We've only had in a handful studio. of them, uh, but we we love the in studio because it has a very intimate feel. And uh, so, yeah, tell us what what what's what's on the uh, the selection for today.
3: Yeah,
4: we were gonna do um, a dance because we often do some dancing. But figured it won't translate as easily on radio. So we decided to do a song instead.
0: <laughs> Thank you.
4: So yeah, we're I, always I, can, I, can always just, <laughs> I can tap on the mica to make the footsteps. So. Oh,
0: yeah. Do some fully for us. Yeah. <laughs> Usually Ozzy's the one that dances.
4: He does some cool Turkish dancing. But um this the song we're gonna play is called Spiti, which is a Greek word for home. And it's a song about home and how you you can't really go back home because not necessarily because no. home and things there have changed, but because you've changed, so you never go back the same person, so it's never the same um, the same home or the same place that you left. so kind of a sad song is almost every single Greek song tends to be, <laughs> and that's the way we like it
1: is this Is this an harmonic or melodic minor? It's um neither because neither. it's
4: okay. in the Arabic minor okay Very good. Wow, you know your music theory <laughs> like this much.
2: Let's, let's set it up. Let's make it happen. of the loved that. That was really fun. Thank you. Um, I would definitely sit through many more of those. So you <laughs> need to tell us when you're performing next, because we would love to come and check it out.
4: Dory, what's the first one?
0: The first one is August 31st, from 4 to 7, down by the river. Just under find the us bend. under down a bridge. Bend. Yeah, under the <laughs> bridge. Under yeah. The, yeah. the bridge, <laughs> that, under the the bridge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, just down the street from Morgan's Pier. Oh, okay, I know where yeah. that is. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we'll be there four to seven and then and then October
4: 14th at the, uh, upstairs from Abyssinia cafe in West Philly. Okay. That's the name they're going with for now. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll be playing there in the evening. Great. Very cool. Yeah.
2: And if people want to follow you on social media, where do they find you?
4: Yeah. On Instagram, the carry Ons, and on Facebook, the carry Ons band
1: and all one word. Yes. Yes.
0: As in baggage, like carry-on.
4: Right. Right. As in the baggage we all have in our lives. and No, it wasn't that deep. Was was (laughs) that the (laughs) impetus for It was not. (laughs) It was more like traveling music and music, you Uh, know, you'd think going to somewhere else and you're, you know, bringing to mind pictures of other places. Oh, I love that. With your carry-on, you know, your little luggage piece. Well, I would almost
1: say it, it, it does kind of, it's a little reminiscent of Gypsy, the... The style a little so, it seems that apropos. would do,
4: that would be a compliment to us. Okay,
1: well, good, <laughs> Very good.
2: Well, thank you both so very much for being here with us today. It's it's so great to have an in studio performance and with an accordion. In-studio. I haven't been in the presence of a real accordion in a very long time so that was very exciting
1: you're awestruck uh,
2: right? i mean it's, it's pretty accordion. great i mean probably like since college so um i, I think there should be more accordion in this world genuinely. you're like where are the batteries <laughs> how does that thing work no. uh, but thank you so very much for being here you're welcome thanks for having yeah. to us. the carry
1: on thanks so much thank you All right, folks. Well, that's our show for today. I hope you learned something and had a good time listening. We certainly did. Please be sure to tune in next time we're on the air. We'll be airing on the 25th of August, two weeks from now. Look forward to seeing you then.
2: Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day.